If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I had to break out the John Morant tonight. Had to keep it fresh. I got to freshen up this quarantine. Me and my team are wearing jerseys just for the sake of wearing jerseys. Just something new. Something to wear other than the same sweatpants and baggy t-shirt I've been wearing for the last two weeks. It's been nice to wear that. We had to bring out the jerseys. Luke chapter 5. Now, I want to talk to you about an issue that's very, very prevalent in a lot of our lives very often. And the first thing I want to tell you tonight is that there is nothing more dangerous than a leader who tries to lead on their own power. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) You see, there's nothing more dangerous than when a leader in ministry as a Christian tries to do things on their own strength and not the strength that comes from above. (laughs) You see, to see heaven happen here on earth, it requires a power that comes from heaven. (laughs) Which is why you and me need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. You see, many of us as leaders, we live our lives where we are trying to accomplish things on our will instead of the Spirit's will. There's nothing more dangerous. It's dangerous to try to lead from an unhealthy soul. It really is. I can't tell you any other way. Uh, There's been times in my life where I have felt like my soul is unhealthy, I'm disconnected to Christ, and yet I still try to lead anyway. It's dangerous. If I could give you a great example, it's very clear. I drive my car all the way down to E before I fill it up. I do it every time. I, Lauren's laughing behind the camera. That's what I'm talking about. I'm getting some laughs. I drive my car. You can relate to this. I drive my car to E before I fill it up. I'm not going to stop at the gas station if I got a quarter left, a quarter tank left. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to drive it all the way to E. And maybe you don't do the same thing. You might be the 1% that doesn't. But I do this, man. It's called procrastination. Many of you, this is finals week, and you got that paper due that you've known about since February. (laughs) And then you want to talk about you stressed out. Well, why didn't you start it in February? It's called procrastination. We do it. But here's what I notice when I do that with my car. When I drive the car all the way down to E, my focus changes. Daniel, what do you mean? My focus changes because all of a sudden, instead of looking up, I start looking down. (laughs) I start looking down at the gas tank as I'm driving. And the reason why is because I start getting nervous that I'm going to run out of gas. And all of a sudden, because I'm driving my car on E, I've completely lost sight of my destination. (laughs) Can I tell you tonight that many Christians have lost sight of their destination because they're trying to live and lead on E. (laughs) Their soul's on E, and they got to keep checking the tank to see how much more they can go before they break down. And when you lose sight of the destination, you forget your why. See, a leader cannot forget his or her why, because that why is your fuel. (laughs) So are you that car that's breaking down, that's on E, that's empty, but still trying to go instead of filling up from the Holy Spirit? See, I can't tell you how many times people have followed me when I'm driving to get to a destination. And if I'm focused on the gas tank and I lose sight of my destination, guess what? The cars behind me are going to lose sight of the destination too because they're following me. See, you have influence. You have people following you. The question is, where are you leading them? (laughs) Are you leading them to a place that you don't really know where you're going because you're not connected to Christ the way you should be every day? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. But if we keep driving this thing on E, we're eventually going to break down. What we have been promised is that we have a Messiah who will fill us up day in and day out. And guess what? We may run out, but he doesn't run out. You see, this earth, temporary. Heaven is eternal, which means the energy, the power, the strength that comes from Christ, unending. 
You and me, though, we have an in. So my title tonight, I want you to write it down. Leading from a healthy soul. Leading from a healthy soul. A simple concept that we often miss. A concept that's easier said than done. A concept that we believe is important, but oftentimes don't live as if it's important. Uh, When you hit E, when that tank runs out, that's what we call burnout. (laughs) We've been talking about it with our leaders. Spiritual burnout. You hit E. Now, let me clarify before we jump into our text here. I'm not talking about just getting tired. Paul was tired all through the New Testament. Jesus was tired, physically worn down. You're going to get tired. I'm not talking about not experiencing persecution. Hear me. As a Christian, you will get beaten up, spit on, mocked. You should. If you're living out your faith, you'll experience persecution. I'm not saying you won't experience persecution. What I am saying, though, is if you're not careful, you get to a place where you burn out, where you're leading from a place where it's really not healthy. And what happens is this, this. I want you to write this down. True burnout occurs when you are more connected to anything other than Christ himself. True burnout occurs when you are connected to anything other than Christ himself. Now that may be sin, that may be work, that may be ministry. Doing God's work is great, but doing God's work is not more important than being in God's presence. You see, doing stuff for God is not more important than knowing God. God. Because when you truly know him, that's when it's going to fuel your work for him. You see, you truly can't do work for him without first knowing him. And knowing him comes from looking up. But many of us are driving around looking down at that tank. That's when burnout happens. Now, this is the side effects before we even get into the passage. How do I know, Daniel, if I'm experiencing spiritual burnout? Many of us are in quarantine now. and We've had more time to read the Bible and pray than we ever had, and yet we still aren't. But many of us, as I've talked to you, when the quarantine began and you had to slow down, many of you realized that you were leading from a place that was unhealthy. That's just the reality of it. Here's how you measure it. You want to know if you're burnout now or when you will be burnout in the past or future. Is ministry an obligation or is it an opportunity? See, when you're burnout, ministry is going to feel like an obligation. Man, I got to do this. I got to do that. God's told me I've got to handle this. I got to handle that. But when you're truly in Christ's spirit, when you're abiding in Christ, you see ministry as opportunities. I get to be the good Samaritan. I get to love those around me. I get to encourage those around me. I am, I am able to do those. I'll give you another one. When you are called to do godly things, pray, read, disciple, share Jesus, join our Zoom on Monday nights. I mean, anything. Is it a burden or is it a blessing? You tell me. Is being a part of God's kingdom a burden or a blessing? That will reflect if you're experiencing burnout in your life. Now, in Luke chapter 5, I love this passage, and we're going to dive deep into it. Jesus is going to encounter a man who has leprosy. This man is sick, and he is ill. Now, remember, Luke was a Gentile, and his audience, he is writing to a Gentile audience here. And what's amazing about this is that Luke constantly emphasizes that all people can get saved, that all people can come to know Jesus Christ, that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, that the gospel has now spread to the entire world, that Jesus Christ is fulfilling something that we never thought he could. So when you see this moment, 
of this man who is untouchable by society, this man who is sick. Remember, the gospel is for everybody. You say, Daniel, I know some of you are out there. You say, Daniel, I've done way too much in my life to get saved. I've done way too much sin. I've made way too many mistakes to give my life to Jesus Christ. No, you haven't. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on his name? Now look with me as we talk about maintaining and sustaining a healthy soul and how Christ can do that. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. While he, Jesus, was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus. Look at his approach here. He fell face down and begged him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is amazing. Let's keep it on this verse right here. This verse is going to stay on the screen. Let's go back to verse 12 right here. Look at this. So leprosy's all over him. He sees Jesus. He falls face down. Look at his approach. He doesn't just casually walk up and ask for healing and a miracle. No, he, he literally falls at Jesus' feet and begs. Now look at the title he calls Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord. <laughs> he says Lord. He calls him by the appropriate title. See, we all want Jesus to be our best friend, but we don't want him to be our Lord at all times. Listen, he's got to be your Lord before he's your best friend. He is the supreme ruler of this world. That is how you are truly a best friend to Christ. He calls him Lord. And then look at this. He doesn't question Jesus' ability to heal him. Can you imagine your prayers? Can you imagine if you prayed in a way where you did not question Jesus' ability to answer them? Those prayers would be unreal. What he does wonder about, though, is if Jesus is willing to do it. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 13, reaching out his hand. Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left. See, when you encounter Jesus, there are immediate effects of encountering a Messiah like Jesus. There are immediate effects. Have you seen those immediate effects in your life? The leprosy left him. Going on into verse 14. Then he ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Number one, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. I want you to write this down. Number one, who Jesus heals. Let's talk about this idea of who Jesus heals. What can we learn about this man and who he is, his approach now, lepers, we know, were exiles. They were excluded from society. And this is going to be on the screen. I want you to know what life was like for them. The first thing is the physical aspect of what it was like. Uh, the first thing is that their skin would have been covered with spots. It would have been very easy to notice someone with leprosy. It was eating away at their flesh and, lastly, their bones. They would have looked tired, fatigued, and worn down because of sleeplessness. There was a huge physical aspect here to this disease that Jesus heals. But not just that. Understand the social aspect of this. I want you to write these down. This man lived far away from ordinary people. He was exiled with no communion with ordinary people from Israel. If a leper patted a dog, the people would kill the dog instantly. See, anyone with leprosy that came near other people, they would, they would shout, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine every time you were struggling with, with a sin or with a certain issue in your life, everywhere you went, they yelled, unclean, 
unclean, exiled from community. Now why? The law tells us in Leviticus 13, it commanded strict segregation of a person who had leprosy, for it was a graphic picture of uncleanness. A leprous person could not worship at the central sanctuary. He was ceremonially unclean and therefore cut off completely from the community. They didn't just see him as physically unclean. They saw them as spiritually unclean, and they lost value as a human being. Now, you are probably like I am when you get sick, when you got an issue. When, when you get sick, your mom and dad come and they baby you. Don't lie. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you handle it better than I do. But when I get sick as a kid, my mom would baby me. My dad would baby me. My wife babies me now when I got a fever. I love a cold rag on the forehead just to cool you down a little bit. Ain't nothing, nothing like it. Imagine when you got sick, your community pushes you out of society. <laughs> Imagine the next time that you really fell and you really had a huge issue, your community, your society said, oh, no more. You're gone. <laughs> Goodbye. No value. If you touch a dog, we'll kill that dog. Can you imagine? That's crazy. That's wild. But that's the reality of what we, what we have here. So when he goes up to Jesus Christ, he goes with a purpose. <laughs> I mean, his approach to Jesus, he literally goes to Jesus. I said it a few weeks ago. There's a big difference between showing up to Jesus and going to Jesus. See, many of us open our Bibles and we feel like we're not hearing from God. We feel like our quiet time is dull. And, and the reason may not be it's because you're not going to the Bible, but it's how you're going to the Bible. See, do you just show up to this thing? Or do you go to this thing? Christian leader? What's your approach with this word? Because this man goes with an all-out purpose. He is not playing games. He is looking for healing. He goes to Jesus expecting something big to happen. When you go to Jesus, do you expect something big to happen? I ask, that myself, I ask myself that every day. I'm in the same boat with you. We ain't preaching. We're just talking. I ask myself the same thing. When I go to Jesus, do I expect something to happen? When I fall at his feet, do I think, when I go to him, watch this, when I go to Jesus and I fall at his feet, do I really believe that when I get up, I'm going to look, sound, talk a little bit different? Or do I go down to Jesus and then get back up the exact same that I fell down? Because, see, this man fell down, got up completely different. <laughs> so when you and I fall down at Jesus' feet, when we stand up, are we different? I don't know. You tell me in your life. You've got to ask these hard questions. I know, I know it ain't easy asking these hard questions. But this man goes to him. I want to make a point to you. Not only does he ask for the right thing, he asks in the right way. <laughs> it's literally like I would pose to you his approach is everything in this. The fact he calls him Lord. The fact that he falls face down. The fact that he begs. He asks all the right things, but he also asks them the right way. Daniel, why are my prayers not being answered? I ask people all the time, why is God not answering my prayers? Is it possible we're praying the right things, but we're not praying them the right way? You tell me, because I would argue that approach is everything. Posture is everything. I think there's a big difference in praying to Jesus like this. Lord, bless me today. Give me a good day. Go before me. And literally on the ground begging, expecting Jesus to move. Expecting that when I get off the ground, I'm going to be different because I encountered the feet of Jesus Christ. I encountered the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. What I will challenge you with is maybe you don't need to change the content of your prayers. Maybe you need to change the position of your prayers. Have you ever thought that way before? 
I mean, for some of you who have been Christians a lot longer than I have, what's the position of your prayers like? Because I can tell you with my wife, real honestly, when we're on a date, it's one thing for me to look at her, and Corey, it's one thing for me to look at her and say, I love you, baby. It's another for me to look at her and say, Hannah, you are the love of my life. You make my life so joyful. I love hanging out with you. And I'm smiling, I'm happy, and I'm, I'm real. I'm conveying my true emotions about my wife to her. There's a big difference. How do you talk to the Lord? How do you communicate how you feel to the Lord? Is it, God, you're good. Amen. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that prayer, but have you ever tried truly just talking to God the way you talk to the other people in your life you love? Would you, what is it like to literally have a conversation with God and talk to him? Then let him speak to you through his word, speak to you through scripture. He's never going to communicate something to you that is in, in, is in altercation of his word. He will never do it. He will never, he will never come in conflict with his word. But do you talk to him like a person? Man, sometimes if I could be real with y'all, I don't always do this well. And this isn't in my notes. I'm expanding on this because the spirit is. Listen, your prayer life is so important. There's times I go to God and I start praying. And I realized that God has wanted me to pour my heart out. You ever had that feeling? You ever talk to God and you just realize, oh, God's wanting more. <laughs> like I started praying. I was like, Lord, man, this has been a great day. You've been with me. And I could sense God saying, no, be real with me, Daniel. Be real with me. Tell me how you feel. And sometimes I start praying like this. I say, God, I am struggling today. God, I'm hurting today. I got pain today. I need you to heal me. I need you to give me the answers to these questions, God. Please be with me today. And listen, it changes so much. When the posture and the position of your prayers change, when you really talk to God from your heart, not just from your head. See, many of us are great prayers from our head. But what about when you pray from the heart? When you beg and you plead. When you fall down at this man's feet, expecting something big to happen. I'm crazy enough to believe it can work. So who... Does Jesus heal? I got to move a little bit faster. A, those aware of their condition. Now, speed this train on up. Lauren, Jess, y'all can keep me on time here. Those aware of their condition. He heals people that are aware of their condition. That's the first step. Listen, you're never going to go to the doctor until you realize you're sick. It's just, that's just the reality of it. This man goes to the doctor because he realized he's sick. I would pose to you that you and me have a plague just like this man does. It's called sin. And what's dangerous about sin compared to leprosy is that you can't really hide leprosy, but it's easy to hide sin. <laughs> you see, that's, that's the dangerous part for Christians. We all got this plague, and this plague buries our soul deep. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of your condition, that you are a fallen sinner, and that I am too? That we have sin, and this ain't popular. This won't bring in viewers to the stream like, man, this guy's really going in on sin. Like, we have a play called sin. When we disobey God's word, when we do things God has clearly communicated to us as, his, as our father not to do, we are sick, we are ill, we are plagued by sin. You will never find the healing to sin until you are aware you have that condition. And once you become aware of that condition, though, and Jesus will start changing your heart to want to repent. When you really start realizing how dangerous lust is, man, you'll start fleeing. When you wake up and realize how damaging gossip is to the church, to your family, to your friends, you'll stop. Are you aware of your condition? Or do you think you have all the answers? Do you think you got all the strength and all the power you could ever need to figure this thing out? 
See, this man is aware of his condition. Christian leader, no matter how long you've been in church, hear me on this. You cannot sustain your own soul. Stop living like it. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to a Christian leader. You can't sustain your soul. Stop living like you can. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Psalm 54 verse 4. The God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. Wow. You can't sustain yourself, but Christ can. And Christ never runs on E. He'll never hit E. B, those desperate for healing. Who does Jesus heal? He heals those desperate for healing. Once you become aware of your condition, once this man looked in a pond, saw his reflection, and realized that he was sick, once he heard the Messiah was coming by, everything changed. He started becoming desperate for healing. Listen, as funny as it is, God has prescribed you two medicines that you're supposed to take daily, almost hourly. It's called prayer and Bible reading. They're two incredible medicines, but it takes time and energy to go and take that medicine. And oftentimes, you're not going to feel like you just want to go and take that medicine. You're going to think that you can do it without your daily medicine. But the doctor, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what your soul needs to make it through that day. You need medicine one, prayer. You need medicine two, Bible reading. There's a whole lot of other things that can benefit you, but those two will sustain your soul through anything that you go through. When life gets high and low, if you are constantly engaged in prayer and in the word of God as a leader, you will never, ever run out of Christ's spirit, ever. He will continue to fill you up and sustain you day in and day out. I know that you say you know your soul won't be healthy with these two things. There's so many Christian leaders watching right now saying, Daniel, I get it. I know I need to pray and read. If you know that's so important, why do so many other things take precedent over those two? It's convicting me when I say it. I know the Lord's speaking to me. You say, I know, Daniel, I know I need prayer and Bible reading. There's nothing like it. Yet so many things are more important to you and me than prayer and Bible reading. And we wonder why our soul suffers. We wonder why during quarantine we don't feel like we're being filled up. We feel like we're right here. We don't feel like we're going up. See, too many times we verbalize our need for Jesus, but we don't prioritize our need for Jesus. Where are you? Because we're real good at verbalizing it. We're real good at saying it. But we're not real good at doing it, at prioritizing it. At saying, man, last week I struggled to read and pray and, and flee from sin. A lot of times we don't make any changes the next week and we wonder why our goals aren't being met. Because we haven't, wrote, we haven't written them out. We don't know where we are heading. Now, number two, I got to move on. Look at verse 13 in our passage. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing to be made clean. And immediately the leprosy, an amazing moment, left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony. Number two, why 
Jesus heals. So number one, we talked about who Jesus heals. And now I want to talk to you about why Jesus heals. That healing that our souls need so desperately. You can imagine this moment if you're the man with leprosy. You haven't felt a human hand touch your shoulder in years. Can you imagine? You hadn't felt someone without leprosy touch your shoulder in years. And then Jesus comes by and he places that hand on your shoulder. Can you imagine encountering Jesus like that? You'd be totally different. See, Luke is painting a picture for us. Look at your Bible. Look in Luke 5. Look at the whole chapter right here in Luke 5. What happens right before this passage? Look with me. I'm serious. Look at Luke 5. What happens right before this passage? Verses 1 to 11. What happens right before this? I can hear you answering. Thank you. I hope. I'm just kidding. I can't hear nobody. Luke, what happens right here in this chapter? Now, this is amazing. Watch this. The first 11 verses, Jesus is on the boat with Peter, and he provides the fish when they didn't think they could get any. Jesus does a miracle over the natural world, right? It's, it's amazing. He provides fish. So Luke, on the one hand, communicates Jesus' supreme rule over this world. But now he's communicating something a little differently. Because not only has Jesus, now in our verses, healed this man of a physical ailment, but what we've seen is that he has, feel, he has healed him of a social, personal, spiritual issue. See, this man is now redeemed because he is healed. So it's amazing, in one chapter you see not only that Jesus has power over physical health and this physical world, but he has power over the spiritual realm and over your spiritual health. Do you realize what this teaches us about his nature? That if he is the supreme ruler, if he is over all, then there is nothing over him. So stop putting things over him. If he is over all, everything else is under him, then that's where everything else in your life belongs. That's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for. Maybe it's for me. <laughs> Why are you putting everything over him? Ain't nothing else belong there. <laughs> Jesus is the supreme ruler over your worries, over your fears, over your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You realize that. He's the supreme ruler over your relationship. And he's supposed to be the supreme ruler over your marriage one day. Everything. There's nothing more glorious than Jesus Christ. So why in the world would you place the trust of your soul into anything else? I, mean, I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but man, somebody's getting it. I can feel it. I can sense the Holy Spirit. There's somebody tonight who they're getting it. It's clicking. They're applying this. They're learning. They're understanding. They're saying, man, I get it. I'm going to make a change this week. This week's going to be different. Somebody, who is it? I'm with you. I feel you. I know you out there. I'm with you. I'm getting too hyped up. I got to chill. Why does Jesus heal? A, compassion. He heals out of compassion, man. He looks at this man, and he doesn't just see him as a burden. He sees him as a blessing. When people in your life are in need, do you see them as a burden or a blessing? Christ has compassion on this man. When Jesus heals, it's because he's filled with compassion. Something we're missing, something we're lacking. We have more passion about hobbies than we do compassion for people. Goodness gracious. It's amazing. Jesus touches the untouchable. He goes where no one else will go because compassion. He sees that this man has potential. 
He sees this man with leprosy who doesn't have anything right now. He loves him. It's amazing. He literally, Jesus is taking on this man's filth that no one else would take on. Can I tell you that's a picture of the cross? That Jesus took on your filth and my filth when no one else would? That's incredible. You see, we as Christians should wear compassion and love like a badge. Love and compassion should be our badge. The way a police officer wears a badge, we should wear love and compassion like a badge. Daniel, what do you mean? I wrote this down. See, a police officer wears a badge at all times. What they do is they wear a badge because it shows who they are, what they do, and that they've been approved by a higher authority. See, when you wear love and compassion, it communicates to the people around you who you are, what you do, and that you've been approved by a higher authority. (laughs) Do you wear it like a badge? The first thing people see when they look at you, is it the love of Christ? Is it the compassion of Christ? I don't know if it is for me. I pray it is. I pray and I hope. I try, I fall short as a pastor. Fall short every day trying to love and have compassion for people. Mm. See, when people are in trouble and they see a police officer with that badge, they run to him because they know that police officer can give them the answers that they're looking for. See, the people in your life, when you wear the love of Christ, when they get in trouble, they'll run to you because they know you got the authority to point them into the direction of the help they need. I'll never forget this story, I was eating with Dakota at Jason's Deli. That's, man, that's such an old man place. Like Jason's Deli sounds like an old man place. I'm eating at Jason's Deli today. Like, that just sounds like an old man place. And when you go into Jason's Deli, you see old men too. I love old men, but that's a, that's a, that's a I'll be an old man one day. So I'm not hating on it. I love Jason's Deli. I'm an old man now. But you go in there, you just see that the free ice cream gets them. <laughs> like you just see it gets grandpas in there, like, I got free ice cream in there, <laughs> holding their bag. It's, I was eating in Jason's Deli, and uh, I'll never forget this moment. Uh, I don't even know why I go there, because I don't even like ice cream. I just said that. I mean that. I don't like ice cream. You can take it up with me afterwards, but I think ice cream is overrated, and it's a joke. <laughs> I think it's gross. I go to kids' birthday parties. They be eating ice cream. All right, yuck. Looks nasty. <laughs> I want no part in that. Camera people, media people are shaking their heads at me. This is outrageous. You like ice cream? Can't stand ice cream. I was in Jason's Deli with Dakota. We were sitting down. We were having a nice meal without ice cream. And uh, we were sitting there, and a police officer walks past. Never forget this moment. Police officer walks past. He goes past our table. He doesn't arrest Dakota, which is good, because Dakota looks like a convict most days. He keeps going. He passes us. And he stops at the table right behind Dakota. I'm watching I'm right here. I'm watching. And he stops at the table that's right behind Dakota. It's a, uh, it's a mom and a young son. I'll never forget this moment. And uh, the cop is talking to him, and he's just hanging out with them and asking them how they're doing and stuff like that. And he, he looks at the mom, and he says, do you mind if I give your son something? And she says, no, that's fine. Go ahead. And he pulls out his wallet. And he takes out his wallet. And he pulls out $1 bill, a $1 bill. He folds it in half, and he hands it to the kid. Kid's no more than five or six years old. He hands it to the kid. Kid loves it. And the mom looks at him. I'm watching the whole thing happen. The mom looks at the police officer and says, what makes you do that? The police officer's response, I'll never forget this. The police officer said, 
I know cops don't have the greatest reputation in our country. And so whenever I see a kid, I love to give him a dollar bill just to let him know we're friends. And he said, he went on, he said, I know I can't change the perception of the country, but by one small act of kindness a day, by one dollar bill, I can change the perception of one person at a time. And that's worth it. And I thought in this moment about my life and how I love and how I try to show compassion and how I fall short. I realize this cop does a much better job than a lot of Christians do, than I do. You see, we can't change the perception of Christianity in our nation as a whole. We got a bad reputation in a lot of ways. But what you and I can do is we can change people's perception of Christ one small act of kindness at a time. See, a dollar bill may not be worth much to you, but it could mean something completely different to someone else when you give it to them. See, love, encouragement, kindness, taking the time to help somebody, it may not seem like a lot to you, but it may completely change people's perception of Christ. See, how you live as a Christian could be that person's only connection to Jesus Christ. That's what I realize every time I go into a store or a restaurant, that I might be someone's only only perception of Jesus Christ by how I live, how I talk, how I treat them. Do you carry that with weight? With conviction? Do you live with love and compassion? Are you willing, like that cop did, to show love to one person at a time so that lost souls may get off the narrow path to hell and step onto that broad road to heaven? I can't answer that question for you. An amazing, amazing image. B, community. We know Jesus heals because of compassion. He moves because of compassion for us, but not just that community. Now, this is very fascinating. Why does Jesus tell this man to tell no one? Why? He does this great miracle, and we're supposed to tell everybody about the gospel, but he tells this man, don't tell anyone. What he does say is he says, go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses, what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony. Now, I didn't fully understand this at a point in my life. And when I started studying this, I realized that Jesus told him to tell no one. This is so cool. Because of this man's need for community. You say, Daniel, what do you mean? It's amazing. This man could not reenter society until he was declared clean by the priest. So this great miracle, all this that Jesus did on the outside really doesn't mean much if, if we can't get this man back into community so that he can thrive in the inside. Isn't that crazy? Just think about that for a moment. In this huge healing, Jesus' first action step, right after the miracle, his first action step to this man is go take the necessary steps to find community. That's unreal. Do you think Christ cares about your community? I would say yes. Literally, Christ moves, heals him on the outside but says that's not enough. Go take the steps so that you can get into community. We can't even fathom the compassion of Christ to be thinking about this man's community, to care about this man so much that, that he wouldn't just heal him and get all the bragging rights for it, but he would send him to go get back in community and society. That is absolutely outrageous, and he cares about your community. He cares about you being in community with Christians who are on fire for Christ so that you can grow. I want you to see this. Before this man can re-enter community, this was a long, long study 
But I, I broke it down in some bullet points so you can understand the weight of this. Watch this on the screen. Before this man can re-enter community, a certificate of recovery he had to be given that's only given at Jerusalem by a priest. So he can't get back into community until he gets that certificate. Jesus is thinking about that. Then he has to undergo a lengthy examination where all of his hair is cut off twice. So he cannot, there cannot be a single hair left. It all has to come off. Not just that, there has to be a blood sacrifice of three lambs, one male, two females, all under the age of one, and two sparrows. One sparrow would be killed, one sparrow would be set free to fly into the country. Then two extended baths, separated by uh, seven or eight days, I believe, and finally the priest would say and declare, you are clean. Until he went through all these, he could not get back into community. That is outrageous. Now, Watch me apply this for a minute. This, this isn't even in my notes. Watch this. Jesus sent him to do all that just to get into community. Do you know what you have to do to get in community? I don't even have my phone. All you have to do is text guest to 901-833-7525. All you have to do is text somebody and say, man, I'd love to join a Zoom with the college ministry with the view. That's it. For me, literally, when we get out of this quarantine, all you have to do to find Community is walk into a church, show up, and there's your community. Look at the steps this man had to take to re-enter, and Jesus told him, do it. If all you got to do is text a number and you can be on a Zoom with people like that, do you think Jesus is calling you to do it? Man, that's a crazy application. That's unreal. I can't even fathom that. Many of you are surrounded by people that are awful influences. You want to see your future? Show me your friends. I will show you your future by who you hang out with. But even worse than that, some of you know you live around people that smoke, drink, have sexual immorality running rampant. You know you need a new community. But even sometimes more dangerous than that, many of you are linked and connected to Christians who are not on fire for Christ. Do you know how damaging that is? We might go a little long tonight. I apologize. Okay, I apologize. Do you know how damaging it is to connect yourself to a Christian who is not on fire for Christ? Hear me. Minister to them. Minister to those Christians that aren't on fire for Christ. But don't rest your soul with them. Because if you rest your soul with Christians who aren't on fire for Christ, you're going to begin to rest your soul the way they rest theirs. And how they rest theirs is probably not the way Scripture has told you to rest yours. And man, that's a whole sermon in one sentence. But your community matters. Stop connecting your soul to people who aren't on fire for Christ, who are passive, who are unmotivated, and wondering why your soul is feeling that way. Wondering why your soul is so troubled when you're doing all the prayer and Bible reading and scripture meditation you're doing. Are you connected to Christians who are not where you are spiritually? It'll drag you down. You minister to them, you love them, you push them, you encourage them, but they cannot be the closest buddy-buddy ones to you. You need people around you that are more on fire for Christ that will meet you where you are and challenge you to go further. And I wish I had more time, but I got to keep going. Lack of a healthy Christ-like community will always lead to a lack of a healthy soul. You can bet that's going to happen. That's why Jesus sends this man to community. That's why so many times the Christian life is not meant to, do, to be done alone. A lack of healthy Christ-like community will lead to a lack of healthy, of a lack of healthy soul. Last one, number three, very quickly, how Jesus heals. 
want you to write that down as you're taking notes. Excuse me. How Jesus heals. Now, the very first thing, three subpoints, we're done. I want to give you this. A, he heals your soul from sin. It's the very first thing that, that we began talking about with this idea of sin is he, he heals your soul from sin. If you want to find healing, it's going to begin by asking Christ to heal that sin that is weighing you down. Listen, you cannot grow in love for Christ without growing in hate for sin. You can't do it. Like, as you grow in love for Christ, you will grow in hate for sin because they're polar opposites. They are complete opposites. Christ is holy, sin is unholy. Christ is righteous, sin is unrighteous. I mean, you can't do it. If you are truly growing in love for Christ and you're growing in hatred for sin and you'll want it out of you, you'll hate it like leprosy, you'll want it gone, you'll despise sin. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you'll grow to be physically sick over your sin. Nothing will make your soul unhealthy like sin will. Nothing. You want to know why you're pouring out from a place that feels empty? you got to deal with that sin. I've said it. I'll say it every single live stream, I think. That sin that's in the dark. Whatever you don't bring into the light is eventually going to bring you into the dark. It's going to drag you on in there. So bring it into the light of Jesus Christ. Because when he heals sin, he always heals shame and guilt too. That's the side effects of the medicine of Jesus Christ. When he heals sin, he always heals shame and guilt too. It's part of what you get. Be your soul from pain in the past. Something that we definitely don't talk about enough. He heals your soul from pain in the past. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, so that we can run with endurance the race that lies before us. Man, to get real with you for a minute here, I can't, I can't tell you. And this is real. Lock in with me. Let me have your eyes. I can't tell you how many Christians I've watched carry pain from their past throughout their life. All through college. I can't tell you how many Christians have had trauma, unforgiveness, brutal, bad drama in their past and they hold on to it deep inside and they carry it through college your soul will be unhealthy because you got darkness weighing it down that you haven't given to the light of the world Jesus you got to deal with that pain you got to deal with it you got to forgive you got to let go you got to speak out about it you got to share it it's time I don't know who I'm talking to but it's time it's time to stop letting that which is in the past hold you down here in the present. It's not fair to what God is wanting to do with you in the present. Let it go. Because when you haven't allowed Christ, I wrote this down, when you haven't allowed Christ to heal past pain, that past pain will make you feel inadequate in the present. That past pain you hold on to, you think it doesn't affect you, but it does. It makes you feel inadequate to lead to be a leader for Christ right here in the presence. We all need to be restored at some point. Peter was restored from denying Jesus three times. Paul was restored from murdering and killing Christians. If Christ can restore them, I promise you he can restore you. And last one, see, one more thing. He heals your soul from fears of the future. The very last thing, he heals your soul from sin, your soul from pain in the past, 
and then your soul from fears of the future. I love Matthew 6, 34. Many of you know this verse. I cling to it. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own trouble. I want to encourage you. Your soul matters. It matters to us. And I want to put that number on the screen again. Actually, let me give you a different number right here. If you're watching, I want you to zone in at your screen right here. 901-734-4641. If you have a prayer request or you need pain or you have pain, something, text HEALING to 901-734-4641. I'll say it one more time. 901-734-4641. Or you can also text the number that we gave for guests. If you're carrying something, you got pain, you got hurt, we want to talk to you, we want to pray for you, and we want to heal you. You can text this number right here too, 901-833-7525. And find freedom through prayer. Now, as I said, I believe somebody's going to get saved tonight. And all the Christians watching now is the time to pray, not cut out. Wherever you are, you know who you are. Will you let tonight be the night that you get saved? Ain't nothing else to, ain't nothing else to debate or wonder about. It's here. Jesus has come knocking. It's here. But to be saved, you got to repent. And we talked about sin. I remember when I repented of my sins for the first time ever. Changed my life. You've got to repent and give God your sins. You turn from those sins. You do a 180 from those sins and you turn from them and you say, I'm done with them. I don't want no more. I don't want nothing else to do with this lifestyle and this way that I'm living. You repent. Will you repent? It's tonight the night. Are you fed up enough? Don't tell me that that sin ain't bringing shame and guilt. You know that you're tired of it. It's tonight the night. You'll repent. And then the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Who am I talking to? You will be saved tonight. Would you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus? If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. It just goes something like this. Let's all bow our heads together. Christians, I need you praying. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking the sin of the world onto your son, Jesus. And God, right now I repent of my sins. I put my faith in you. I believe you rose from the grave. And God, right now I turn from my sin I ask that you would save me. Father, would you save me now? Save me. For the rest of you with your heads still bowed, I want to pray for all the Christians tonight. Heavenly Father, I lift up the Christians to you right now who are watching. I pray that as leaders, their souls would be healthy and be full. God, I pray that they would find time in your word like none other. That they would pray in a way expecting to stand up from your feet different. <laughs> Father, would you please bless all the students and all the people across the world that are watching right now. Father, we love you and we are so thankful that we still get to do this. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.